Our second lesson comes from 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 7 and 25 through 29. To put us at where we are in the Israelite history, we have the Israelites who were led out of slavery in Egypt by Moses. They wandered in the desert. They came into the promised land, and they formed kind of 12 clans or 12 tribes. And then eventually they began to unite, and they formed a monarchy, a kingdom. And that's where we're at, is in this period of the monarchy for the Israelites. I'm going to warn you, there's a lot of names and a lot going on in this passage. So stick with me. We're going to get through it, and we'll work through it together. But listen for a word from God. Reroboam said, went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nabat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Reroboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to see me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who attended his father, King Solomon, while he was still alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? They answered him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and resided there. He went from there and built Penuel. Then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the kingdom may well revert to the house of David. If this people continues to go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the heart of this people will turn again to their master, King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. He said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are the God who is always with us. Amen. All right, let's figure out what's going on in this passage. Because we have two names that are dangerously close in sound. But before we get to them, we need to talk about Rehoboam's father. Rehoboam's father was King Solomon. Maybe you've heard of King Solomon the Wise. He is known all throughout the world as the wisest king who ever lived. But it wasn't just his wisdom that made him famous. It was under King Solomon that the kingdom of Israel grew to the height of its power, both economically as well as military. It was united. For a while we had a northern and southern kingdom, but under Solomon and David, they united to make one big kingdom. 
They expanded their borders but did not overexpand their borders so that they could keep control. Because they owned an important trade route, they were able to levy taxes and tariffs, and so they were thriving economically. The nation was truly safe for many years. Toward the end of his reign, King Solomon heavily taxed the people to build a new temple and also a palace, which caused some unrest. Solomon also had hundreds of wives and concubines, so once he died, even though Rehoboam, his son, was chosen to be the next king, there was much unrest with so many other people from his line. Following Solomon's death, as any period of leadership for a long time, a stable reign, almost immediately peace between the kingdoms collapses. Rehoboam, again the son of Solomon, comes to be coronated as king over all Israel. But Jeroboam, who is a man from the north, comes and instead is crowned king by the people. He shows up and essentially says, because of the previous administration, because of your father, there has been a heavy burden on all the people, and you should not be king, but I should. And the people present agree, and so they crown Jeroboam king instead. Again, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, Jeroboam from the northern kingdom. But through political machinations, Jeroboam becomes king of the northern kingdom, which splits from the southern kingdom of Judah. And Rehoboam becomes king of Judah. So Jeroboam's in the north, Rehoboam's in the south. You still there? We're with me? Jeroboam, after seizing power, begins to get nervous. Because when you've seized power through the crucible of unrest and anger by attacking your opponent, then you're always looking to create more dissatisfaction to retain power. He thinks if the people are united in their worship of Yahweh, the worship of the Lord God, then they will turn back to the house of David. They will turn back to King Rehoboam. If the people are united, they will disrupt my power. So what does he do? He points them to worship something else. He points them to worship something more convenient that he places in the northern kingdom. Jerusalem, where they were worshiping, is in the southern kingdom. He fashions two gold calves, and just as uh, Aaron did in our Exodus story that Ann Dillon read, he says, these are your gods who led you out of Egypt. They were in a culture that was religiously pluralistic, syncretistic, and they were worshiping, there were many gods being worshiped. And so when he places those two calves in the northern kingdoms, what he is doing is separating the people. He's separating them and their religion, using religion to hold his own power and to uh, divide people. He's drawing people away from God through a period of nervousness, upheaval, and when the people are scared. Through the transfer of power, the people follow Jeroboam, on a pathway to destruction away from God. This is no different to how life is today. There are people in our world, in our society, who claim power by trying to divide us as a people. 
to divert caring for one another. They attempt to hold power by saying those people over there are different and cannot be trusted. You must fear them. They aren't beloved children of God. They are this or they are that. There are people who try to hold power and money by pointing us to worship gods other than the Lord God, Yahweh. The gods of politics, the gods of consumerism, the gods of unrest. Instability is fabricated to keep people from caring for each other. In the instability of life, where do we turn? Who will the church be? In the upheaval of society, how will the church react? Does the church project anxiousness and worry? Or does the church look to God as the presence of light and life and presence and hope? In the midst of conflict in the world, who will the church be? I've been collecting stories for a stewardship video that is in your bulletin if you would like to watch after service. And there's one that I heard that made me so incredibly proud of this community and this church. Kate, who is the director at Second Mile Preschool, which is a preschool that provides affordable daycare and familial support to the underserved community of Terry Heights tells the story of First Presbyterian. And she says, you know, we, we actually have a name for you all over at Second Mile. And I said, really, what is it? She says, we refer to First Presbyterian Church as the miracle of the rat. And I said, please tell me more. <laughs> she said, Second Mile's building, like many old buildings, developed a rodent infestation, which was incredibly disheartening to the staff. They were concerned about the health of the children who would nap on the floor. After the kids would leave after putting in a hard day's work, the staff would say after cleaning up droppings. And because they run this discounted rate to serve their community, their margins are incredibly thin. But Kate said, you know, when life is difficult, when something terrible happens, maybe something embarrassing, she says, I know I can go to First Presbyterian Church and just lay it all out. She said, I called them up and there was a check the next day and the exterminator came and our rat problem was gone. And she said, but it's not just about the check. It's that we trust First Presbyterian. She says, we don't let everyone into our community to hear the stories of our families because we wor they work very hard and we want to protect their dignity. But she said, you know, the First Presbyterian Church through the volunteers, through the staff, they have developed authentic relationships that we feel we can trust with the stories of our families. We feel we can trust them because we have authentic and real relationships. Now, I don't think we need to identify ourselves as the miracle of the rats. But I would love if that was the mission of First Presbyterian Church. Who is there in crisis, people feel they can go because it's a place of non-judgmental presence that only flows out care and relationship and love. 
that in the midst of crisis, in the midst of chaos and unrest and despair in the world, we choose to build relationships with dignity and respect, to partner to make communities and the world a better place, that we are not a place of fear, but this is a place of stability because we worship the Lord God, who is king of the world. And in the Lord God, we have something stable. In our faith in the Lord God, we have something that we can hold on to. So we do not need to project anxiety, but we can project love. For those who try to separate us from others in our community by saying this people group is that, we will instead see every individual as a beloved child of God, which happens when we build relationships. We won't be paralyzed by field or led astray, but we will follow where God is leading us to be a non-anxious presence in the world full of love and grace, loving those who we are called to love today. This past Friday, I had a chance to, come to see my favorite musical of all time, which just came here to Huntsville, called Come From Away. It's this incredible story of hospitality. It's a story of during the 9-11 tragedy, and they closed the airspace, 7,000 passengers were diverted to a small Canadian town, a town of Gander that only had about 7,000 people in their population. And that 7,000 people hosted an additional 7,000 for over four days. One of the most poignant parts of the musical is after the plain people, as they call them, arrive, and they're staying in the local YMCA and the schools, and all the horror of what has happened, all the tragedy of what has happened is weighing on everyone. Everyone is gathered around three TVs in silence, watching the news, watching these horrific images over and over again. And they're paralyzed. They cannot move. But then they all decide to get up, to turn the news off, and to get to work. They begin cooking for one another. They begin caring for one another. They begin hearing each other's stories, eating together in mutual care. In the work of hospitality, they begin building relationships. Those who live in the town start inviting those from the school to come home and stay with them for a few days. In that moment, the community hasn't eliminated the atrocities that have happened. But in that moment, a community of people have begun the process of healing. They've begun the process of healing together. I'm sure many of you have felt paralyzed by the news, like we cannot do anything between the gun deaths in our own country, the wars that are happening across the world, the food insecurities across communities, the rhetoric of our politicians, people and companies seeking to divert us away from each other and away from virtue to hold power, it can seem like it's too big to do anything. 
But you can, church, and you are. You can begin the process of healing in your own community. You can build relationships. You can serve one another. You can find peace in your own soul and worship so you can be a peaceful presence in another's life. Church, we aren't called to eliminate evil from the world. We can't do it. That's God's job. But we can begin and participate in the process of healing and redemption with every person who is around us. This Sunday is Commitment Sunday, where we commit our financial gifts as a form of worship to God. But I hope also it's a time where we are committing all of ourselves, our time, our money, our words, our actions, our relationships, our connections, our organizations, our gifts, for this to be a place of healing and growth, to begin the process of healing through love and compassion, to start the process of uplifting one another through authentic relationships, building on the ones we already have, deepening them, but also reaching out and starting new ones. Again, church, we cannot eliminate evil, but we trust that there is a God who is in control, a God who is a place where we can stand and have faith and hope. And so, church, may we go out this coming year and be a place of love, be a place of compassion, be a place that knows who we are called to worship, the one true Lord God, and that changes everything about us. May it be so, and thanks be to God. Amen.